This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 72 of the Wisdom of My Oisa show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Mike Donnell. I'm Casey Wilbanks Coletti. And this is Sophia Aguilar. Welcome to Wisdom by Wessa on the Horse Ready Network. This podcast is brought to you by the Western and English Sales Association, WISA, which provides the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives of the equestrian industry. In this podcast, we feature exclusive interviews with noteworthy Western and English personalities, retailers, and exhibitors who you've always wanted to talk to. Don't miss out on all the news for manufacturers and retailers in the equine industry. Today's guest is a former MAC president. Sophia is here to tell us what that means to WISA. Yes, so MAC stands for the Men's Apparel Club of Colorado, and it's very significant to WESA because under that corporate name, the association was established in 1921, and it's what the association was called up until 1989. After that, it was renamed to Westside, which, of course, we all know as the Western and English Sets Association. Why was the association renamed? Well, the times had changed, and Westside more accurately reflected the image of the trade show, because by that time, it had become one of the nation's premier equestrian and Western events, and actually also the largest show of its kind, including all members of the industry. So quite naturally, the name was then changed to Westside. And we have found out that the history of WESA itself is actually not known to many of our members. So in preparation for the 100th anniversary in January 2022, we have gathered all of the important historical facts about WESA on westsidetrader.com slash timeline so everyone can go and have a look. Oh, how neat. Um, Speaking again about today's guest, what kind of role did he play? So today we'll interview Bob Davidson, who was the MAC president in 1974 and 1975. And long story short, he randomly met our trade show manager's family in a restaurant and shared some stories about the association. So it's truly a small world that we're all living in. But of course, we wanted to share these stories from almost 50 years ago with our listeners. To say that Bob Davidson's professional history is interesting is somewhat of an understatement. Prior to a stellar career in the Western apparel business, he owned and managed one of the largest buffalo herds in the world. Then he switched to home construction business, where he managed the work of some 600 carpenters and tradesmen. Then a neighbor convinced him to switch careers and start selling clothing. He ultimately traveled seven states. He joined the Men's Apparel Club and eventually became president. He continued in the business when the Men's Apparel Club became WISA, and today at age 87, he's still representing some lines. We're glad to welcome Bob to the show today. Horse owners always pay close attention to the condition of their horse's hoofs. Spotting a problem or an issue is not the same as knowing what to do about it. Each episode of Healthy Hoof features discussions about various philosophies on the health of the hoof and the soundness of your horse, including interviews with professionals in the field, including farriers, trimmers, vets, and body workers. Listen to new episodes and past episodes alike on the Horse Radio Network. Bob Davidson, welcome to the Wisdom by WISA podcast. Thank you. 
You know, one of the things that uh, that we do a lot on this show is we talk to people who've been involved in the industries. We chat about how they got involved in the industry. And, of course, uh, yours is a bit different because, as I recall from what we chatted about yesterday, you really got into the business at your uh, the suggestion of your neighbor. That's right, Herb Goldsby. But I think prior to that, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of grow up in the business. You have a much different history. As you were telling me, uh, and I want to start with that, you were responsible for, managed, and or owned one of the largest buffalo herds in the world. Well, I uh, managed it, and I was the buyer and uh, ran the ranch. It wasn't my ranch. It was uh, Texas beef packing out of San Francisco, but Bazola. And how many buffalo did you manage? Well, when I started, we bought about 350 head for the Little Buffalo Ranch, and then I got about 650 head out of the uh, Yellowstone Park. I bought the largest private herd out of Rodan, Montana, the largest private old herd out of Redlands, California, the largest private old herd out of Kent, Texas, and Rodmore Gillette put him in the ranch. When I left the ranch, I had about uh, 1,600. And within the year after that, they had uh, things I purchased and, and other ways. They had about 2,200 heads. That is a lot of buffalo. Yeah, it was the most bu- buffalo until Ted Turner got involved. Well, and that had to have been a fascinating job, but for whatever reason, you left that and you got in the construction business, and instead of uh, 2,500 head of buffalo, you had uh, five, 600 carpenters and tradesmen that you were responsible yeah. for, right? Yeah, we were the second largest home builders in the United States as Pearlback Homes in North Clan and South Clan, Denver, and... Uh, we built from fifteen to seventeen hundred homes a year at that time. And whatever can uh, uh, help your neighbor convince you to give up that to get in the clothing sales business. Well, management changed in the in the construction business. There were three owners and probably some of the nicest people I ever worked for. Uh, but. I just got tired of all the rigmarole there and the thing on the road as a commission salesman, you're in charge of yourself and, and your product. So when you started, what lines were you carrying and what was it like in those days traveling? I think you said seven states calling on retailers, adding lines, whatever that it was that kept you interested and involved in the business. Tell us about those days, if you will. Well, I started out with four glove lines that Hurst Goldsby gave me because he had gone to work for a company hardmore oklahoma leather jacket company and they wanted an exclusive with him and then i just started gathering any lines i could get as all salesmen do uh i picked up necktie line underwear line a year later i had some friends because i had was i'd rodeoed for several years prior prior to this whole conversation so i don't do a lot of people in the western business having rodeoed for about 10 years off and on 
And uh, I just, when I finally got a boot line, higher boot, at the time was the oldest boot line in in the industry. And I just went from there because I, in roading, I had traveled a lot, so I knew how to get a, check into a motel. I knew how to, you know, take care of my car and whatever else. So uh, then you build up uh, an association, a brotherhood with your fellow salesman on the road. And it just is, uh, we helped one another out back in those days. We were very, uh, the salesman, if they knew you, got to like you, da, da, da. And I knew the territory already because I'd traveled at rodeo on it. So I pretty well knew how to get around. So when did you join the uh, apparel club? I joined the apparel club uh, about 1964 at the time Hearst insisted that I join the uh, club. And then uh, uh, we also had a national uh, sales apparel sales organization. He insisted I joined that at the time, too, because all the prior presidents and older salesmen have all been members of that. So then you eventually matriculated to the top and became the president. What was the market and the business like uh, uh, at the time you uh, became president? Well, about the time just before I I went into uh, selling, they held their markets at the Adams Hotel. Then they moved to uh, uh, the tower downtown there. And I was trying to think of the old trade thing. And then they built the market out there. And the first year or so I was there, I did a lot of rooms in the market in order to gain. I, I built their market rooms for them, like, uh, well, Hirsch. And I built desks, and I did a lot of interior work because I'd had a lot of experience in uh, cabinetry and that having been in the uh, home building. And so I did that as we went along to make extra money and uh, things were, well, the first year I was on the road traveling, my rooms, my rooms, including my markets, cost an average of $6 a night. God, I don't even know how these guys today are staying on the road with the cost of a car. Rooms are $100, $150 a night. Meals are outrageous anymore, gasoline, but uh, it was a it was a good life and it was a very good group of people you're with. I would bet when you were paying six dollars a room at night, you weren't selling products at the same prices that they are today, well, though. Well, heavens no, a pair of all <laughs> kangaroo boots was uh, retailed. For about thirty, well, thirty-four ninety-five, uh, had boots that cost sixteen dollars. All horse-side boots. That today, that would be three hundred dollars uh, cost. Yeah, it, it really would be. Uh, now, Casey, of course, who's my co-host here, also comes out of the rodeo world and has traveled around a lot, and she appreciates that uh, that part of the life. But she's also one of our uh, fashion and clothing experts. Casey, uh, hop in here and chat a bit. 
Bob, I'd love for you to tell us a little more about your rodeo days. It's always interesting to just have a little more backstory about, uh, you know, what made you you. Well, I do all the old timers. In fact, Patty Ride was the first guy that helped me get on a saddle bronc, who is a, yeah. a world champion. And, and I knew all, it's in Wyoming at that time, you knew everybody in the horse business. Uh-huh. Kings out of out of Cheyenne, King Merritt and Sunny and Cotton and all that. You knew yes. all the guys that were making horse trailers, Roy Barnes and Denver. Uh, it, it was it was a brotherhood. I mean, sure. you knew everybody. Yeah. And and if you needed a rope horse, they'd say, "Well, just go get the one off the fence over there and, and that." But uh Casey Tibbs, I knew Casey when he first broke into the world. Gerald Roberts was a wonderful friend of mine. I, I traveled some with Jack Bushbaum when he was world champion, and, and he won it three times in the bareback ride. These are the top three for 17 years in the bareback ride. But you knew everybody, and during, like, National Western in Denver, mm-hmm. you all hung out together. I mean, yes. They, they were yeah, they were they were they pretty well hung together. There was a sure. lot of them because when I got my card the first time, I was below a thousand. My my membership, in fact, Roddy Bloxham's here staying with me right now, and he and I had a ranch together in Ellsburg, Washington. We rodeoed together. We had a place over in KC, Wyoming, ran sheep and cattle for a while, and. His number we we're talking about last night is seven sixty eight Y. Oh my goodness! And you don't even know what the Y was for on there. If you had a Y on your number, that meant you could give them a check. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then then they changed the numbers and they lost a lot of their bookkeeping of the RCA because they held all of their uh, they held all their uh, meetings the yes. association did at the brown palace in denver mm-hmm. i was instrumental in helping them get barrel race again to uh the national western at that time we we're talking about yes. that last night we only had five awesome. events now it's like a carnival they got <laughs> break open shooting the horseback balloons and everything yes. yeah but those guys that back then also you didn't hardly have anybody that didn't work two or three events. Sure. And yeah. your saddle bronc riders were, were bulldogging and, and yes. bull riders were riding uh, bulldogs were riding bulls. And yeah, yeah. If you look back That's in right. the history and I I'm glad to see uh, the young right boy with the all round because it's yes. tired of all the damn roper, pardon my expression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um you're right. I think I was born too late because uh, it just I, I'm certain that it may have been harder to get things done back then. But you've mentioned the word brotherhood so many times and uh, it was different. It was different back then. And uh, it was cool. Very cool. But nonetheless, in addition to that, I think what it shows you've kind of done it all. Really, you've done it all. But there's one thing in common in all the things you've done. And your ability to be a good leader. And um, that's what's led you to all the things that you've done. What what makes a good leader? What made you a good leader? What makes you a good leader? Well, you make yourself useful 
to begin with. You see something that needs done or somebody needs some help, you, you jump in and do it. And uh, I don't know. It's just uh, a lot of it's how you're raised and the people you're around. And uh, when I was young, all the people I worked for had all been in, mostly been in World War One. And then, of course, uh, I grew up during World War Two, and, and people worked back in those days. You always had a job, and everything was worth something. You didn't throw a gunny sack away; it's worth a dime. A beer bottle's worth a, one and a half cents to five ten cents, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, I guess, well, <laughs> in the <laughs> army when I was in Korea, I. I may rank faster today. You talk to a lot of these guys, it takes four years to get corporal in the Marine Corps. I was a sergeant before I could look left and right. So, yeah, uh, I guess I guess it is uh, leadership. So, sure, you bring a lot to the table, authenticity and uh, motivation, and you're one of those cowboys of yesteryear that are just so valuable to to our future and, and the present. And this is. Maybe kind of an obvious question, but I'd like to know from your perspective, just the change in fashion since <laughs> you you started with <laughs> the Men's Apparel Club to now. I mean, I obviously there's obvious differences, but uh, just from your perspective. Well, I think uh, the quality of the goods was better quality. I'm talking about... Uh, like clothing day, you go look at a lot of clothing, and it looks like cheesecloth. And, and uh, of course, the prices are outrageous on everything today. But uh, the craftsmanship, well, there's a lot more hand craftsmanship. And the craftsman was, well, Denver, Colorado, at the time, all the Western shirts were made in Denver. There mm-hmm. wasn't hardly a company outside of Denver making shirts. And, uh, the boot business, there again, the boot business was small. In fact, right after the war, they didn't even stock boots in stores. Everything was made to measure, and and Hires was the first one that ever did that. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's just a whole different, so much faster and Everything's uh, built today as a mass where it was individually built, a lot of stuff. Sure. Would it be fair to say that when we're talking about the time period of $6 hotel rooms and $30 boots, was it a necessity for products to be made better um, back then for longer longevity due to the inability to afford items very often to replace well, that, items very often yeah see that's another thing i bought out higher boot companies sydney myers and i we started honcho boot which is, is still in effect sydney died i sold out sydney but his wife's running it and i'm still helping her by selling boots in montana and wyoming to my people i've known and their kids and everything for years but okay. uh uh i you know, we still make them the way old way. We probably, our poncho uh, probably makes more custom-like boots than anybody else in the business. And most people haven't even heard of us. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we don't do any national advertising. It's all word of mouth. And we do about 50% of our business. 
is uh, uh, we make it with the store label in it. Awesome. So, and then also while I'm, while we're busy, I was also helped found the Can-Am market up in Calgary, in Canada, and I was the president of that uh, from 1984 to 85, the chairman in 86, and I was on the board there for 29 years, besides being in Denver for 20 years on that board and that. So, yeah, I got to really know the people in, in the manufacturing, and I've seen all the changes, and I got to see all. Look, today on the road, there's very few commission salesmen around. They can't make a living in so high price. Most of them are are uh, working for the companies. So that's changed. Well, I think it's obvious in visiting with you, um, even though Mike or I may not have been around in the men's apparel club days, but it's, uh, it's obvious you were an asset then and were part of the reason why it's still... Um, succeeding today well i hope so i hope it goes on and on i've got friends that are on the road still today that come by and see me and stay with me once in a while and i try to feed them and, and mm-hmm. give them the cheap whiskey but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> oh no no but they they reciprocate <laughs> yeah but but if you look back and I was going over the list of past presidents and and they were just they just go out of their way to to help you and get you established and kind of crutch your manners if you weren't doing the right thing and uh and kind of like being a a grandpa or a dad or an uncle or sure. something like that. But it it, it I have been going to markets, of course the markets have been that active, but also, when I, when I was president, that's when Wiesa broke away from our marketing, and that was like a small war. And they found out the the manufacturers they spent ten dollars for every dollar we spent, and salesmen putting on the markets. And Chuck Bailey was the president. Of we uh, the retailers at the time, and he and I got together, put the market back together, and kind of wrote the rules of how we're going to do it. And reestablished that the salesman, uh, the changes I've seen even in the association, like allowing manufacturers to be members, they could be members when I was there, but they didn't have any voting rights. And so that's all changed. And so you look at the politics of what's going on today, and it, it definitely has changed. Well, and I think the you know the world changes as we move along. I kind of oh. wanted to touch on one more thing, Bob, because I'm sitting here looking at and thinking back. I mean, you switched dramatically in industries. I mean, from managing a buffalo herd to managing carpenters to selling over the road, and yet you successfully worked into both of those. Tell me what went through your mind and how you adopted, because there's, there's, I, I did not see, maybe you see, similarities between managing a buffalo herd, managing carpenters, and trying to sell clothing. How did you manage to make that switch so smoothly and successfully? Well, first of all, I had to want to still have her, a wonderful wife, and she never fought me on anything I wanted to do. I, if I wanted to ride boats, okay. If I wanted to uh, build fence, that's okay. Whatever. 
but she was always supportive and and I always said she'd rather live in a tar paper shack than she would in a palace as long as she had land. <laughs> <There wasn't laughs> a lot of land. But uh no, it's a it's uh you work with people. People's what makes everything work and anything that isn't managed properly doesn't succeed. I don't care what you're doing. You got to have good management and you got to have good people and you got to work with those people. And if they don't know, show them how to do it or find a way for them to learn to do it. So uh, I've always enjoyed everything I ever did. I've never, uh, if I was car hopping or washing dishes in a restaurant in Texas or which I've done a few times, I enjoyed it. I knew I was going to have a better job down the road. So you always got to look down the road and uh, look for something to do. Like I say, I tell all my grandkids, if you don't do anything, be helpful. If somebody needs some help, take your time and help them. And I think that's still a good rule. Yes. I think it is. And if I can think of a couple of words to describe you, one has to be you're an optimist. You look at the positive side of things and find a way to make what you're doing positive for you and for other people. Well, I hope so. And, and I tell all the younger kids that I know or these people that can't smile in the morning, I said, you know, attitude is 90% of life. If you think you're happy, you're happy. If you're hurt, you're hurting. I said, you got to get your attitude going before you get anything else going. And that's kind of the way I live. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do, and I'm glad you took the time to share your stories and your history with us uh, on the Wisdom by Wisa show. We thank you, and I know the listeners are going to thank you after they hear the show. Well, thank you, folks, and thank you for taking your time, and thank you for letting me be with you. Well, thank you for your time. The show notes and links from today's show can be found at the website, wisdombywisa.com. And, of course, we'd love your feedback. There's a contact link on that website. The Wisdom by Wisa show will be published on the 15th and 30th of every month. You can listen on most of your favorite podcast players, and you can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free, and it's super easy to use. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And thanks for listening to the Wisdom by Wisa podcast. Wisa, where the industry meets.